Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello, everyone. My name is Nick, and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure, where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together... We can make a difference. I'd like to preface this episode with the fact that I really like Jennifer Lawrence and I really like Chris Pratt. But... In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 24, Passengers. And this episode has been a long time coming and by that I mean it was supposed to come out simultaneously months ago and last week. Um, I'm trying to remember when the original poll was but I think it was between Passengers and Pleasantville uh, which was back in like May. Um, and then I meant to put it sort of back in the pot and it just kind of never got done. Um, it wasn't till my research for Legally Blonde that I found out that Keanu Reeves was up for the Chris Pratt role alongside Reese Witherspoon, amongst other actresses. And it felt like it was a sign to put passengers back in. Um, but I've had a little bit of illness, so... Passengers was supposed to come in um, a couple of weeks ago, I think last week. Um, anyway, I'm losing track of time. Um, News-wise, I'm currently planning the 2020 schedule, crazy, um, through to March. Um, I actually have some great guests lined up. Um, if you listened to last episode on Mystery Men, you'll know that Andy from Geek Salad um, will be back for another slice of 1999 comedy gold um that won't be till later on sort of next year um but the main news will be that the christmas episode is going to be animation and i'm actually going to be doing a little animation season i always kind of bang on about the fact how much i love animation um and the animation season will be continuing pretty much all the way through to february because in february uh, verbal diorama turns one year old um I'm still planning something fairly big 
for that. Um, however, if you've been on my social media at any point recently, um, you'll know that I've just bought a house. Um, and all being well, um, I'm probably going to be moving uh, about that time. I'm not entirely sure when I'm going to be moving, but it'll probably be around that time sort of february march time of next year so the anniversary stuff i'm gonna have to play it by ear um the schedule generally might need to move around um just be a bit more flexible with kind of everything that i've got going on um obviously if i'm moving house there's a high probability that i'm not gonna have internet um so we'll see what happens kind of around that but i'm certainly planning to do something quite wonderful um animation wise for the verbal diorama anniversary in february um in other news um i recently launched my patreon um and i didn't actually mean to um it was one of those things it was kind of ready to go i'd set up the page i'd set up the tiers and everything like that um but i kind of never felt like it was the right time to announce it and the right time to do it and then very randomly, I got a message to say that I had a patron and someone had actually signed up. Uh, so obviously, I've got to say uh, a big thank you to Simon, um, who became the first Patreon for Verbal Diorama. And he kind of spurred me on to actually get the page uh, announced and kind of out there. And once it was out there, um, I got a couple of other patrons sign up to the show. So obviously I need to say thank you to our Johnny Utah tier patrons who are Simon and Hardy L. Um, so thank you, Simon and Hardy L for supporting the show. Um, and not only that, um, I actually now have a Patreon producer to announce. Um, so good friend of the show, Sade, she signed up for the John Wick tier. And with that, she gets loads of perks. But um, the main perk is really that she becomes a producer on the show. Um, so massive thank you to our new Patreon producer, Sade. And you'll hear a little bit more about her and what she gets for being a producer a bit later. Um, but without further ado, let's jump on the good ship Avalon for passengers. Hello. Are you asking me on a date? She didn't seem that impressed. Wow. You clean up pretty good yourself. You two look fine this evening. We're on a date. Very nice. Took you long enough to ask. So, why did you give up your life on Earth? boarded the Avalon with the destination. 120 years hibernation means a wake up in a new century on a new planet. But a year ago, everything changed. Hello? Anybody here? Hello? Do you know what's going on? Nobody else is awake. I think something went wrong with the hibernation pods. We woke up too soon. Years too soon. This can't be happening. We have to go back to sleep. We can't. Aurora, we love you. Something's wrong. 
Something big. What do we do now? Do you trust me? trailer for passengers um and that's kind of the first issue really uh, because it's kind of a classic trailer misrepresents the actual plot of the story kind of trailer um i don't mind it so much when a trailer doesn't tell you things to save spoilers um in fact i'd argue that it's preferable for a trailer to tell you as little as possible um the problem i have is that trailer feels like it's for a completely different movie um so basically because the synopsis is just completely different so uh, the synopsis is as follows. Jim Preston, a uh, mechanic travelling to a new life on planet Homestead 2 aboard the sleeper ship Avalon, is woken 90 years prematurely by his malfunctioning sleep pod and realises he's completely alone. Days turn to weeks, which turn to months, and he believes he will be alone until he dies. One year of solitude passes with only a bartender android for company. Jim contemplates suicide, but instead finds the beautiful sleeping Aurora Lane and decides to wake her. So, uh, the cast and characters. Build first, you have Jennifer Lawrence. She plays Aurora Lane. She was kind of making three movies a year up to this point. Um, and she was in massive franchise movies as well. She was in the X-Men franchise, The Hunger Games, um, alongside her Oscar-winning turn in Silver Linings Playbook. Um, so she was an actress in high demand. Chris Pratt plays Jim Preston. This was kind of post-Guidance of the Galaxy, the Lego movie and Jurassic World, which was kind of cementing him as the next big heartthrob, basically. And rounding out the cast, um, which is a fairly small cast, actually, because uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt, they tend to kind of carry the movie on their shoulders. Um, you have Michael Sheen playing the android bartender Arthur, uh, Lawrence Fishburne as Gus. And Andy Garcia, who's fifth build as Captain Norris. He has no lines, uh, despite being featured in a trailer um, and only being on screen for like 15 seconds. So excellent payday for Andy Garcia. Uh, the movie was directed by Morton Tildum and it was written by John Spates. So I mentioned before um, in Legally Blonde um, about passengers and about kind of how it really kind of came about um so essentially john spates wrote a screenplay it ended up on the hollywood blacklist but the actual story of passengers started with a script called shadow 19 uh, that was about an elite soldier sent on a suicide mission to a distant planet uh, warner brothers bought that script um and mr keanu reeves because he's part of the story at this point as well uh, he was attached to star in shadow 19 in addition to obviously also being attached to star in passengers which is what shadow 19 became um, he was also looking to uh, co-produce uh, shadow 19 
uh, with his production company, Company Films. Um, so Shadow 19 failed to get greenlit um, and the plot was kind of adapted to an idea about a man stranded alone in space, which became a man waking up alone on a colony ship. And that became the core basis for Passengers. And that script became the favourite on the 2007 blacklist and it was championed by 38 film industry professionals. Um, in 2010, a guy called Gabriel Machino was hired to direct Passengers. Um, at this point, Keanu was still attached to Star, but John Spates had been hired by Ridley Scott to write the Aliens prequel, which became Prometheus. In 2013, Brian Kirk replaced Gabriel Machino and this is when Reese Witherspoon became attached to the project, again alongside Keanu Reeves, as I mentioned in Legally Blonde, and the Weinstein Company acquired the rights at the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, Witherspoon dropped out in late 2013 and Rachel McAdams was hired to play Aurora. At this point, uh, the project cost about $35 million. Um, it was financed by Wayfair Films, um, who were producing alongside company films. But in 2014, the Weinstein Company dropped the project um, and Rachel McAdams also left. Um, at some point, Emily Blunt was attached to the project. Um, to be honest, there's a lot of information on the internet about who was attached to passengers, but not specific dates that I could find. Um, but I know Emily Blunt was also attached. So at the time, around this kind of time, um, big budget sci-fi was kind of a big thing. Um, it was 2013 when Gravity really hit big um, and then 2014 Interstellar was one of the biggest movies of the year. Um, Passengers was actually put up for auction in December 2014 so obviously the Weinstein company dropped the project, um, they put it up for auction and Sony Pictures then won the rights to the movie. But this was obviously seven years after originally intending to star so Keanu Reeves left the project in 2014 and because of the box office success of Prometheus, it rose John Spate's star in Hollywood considerably. Sony enticed the Oscar-nominated director Morton Tildum, um, as well as the Oscar winner Jennifer Lawrence and up-and-coming heartthrob Chris Pratt in the lead roles. And in order to accommodate the increased cost of having an Oscar-nominated director and an Oscar winner on its cast, um, Sony studio chairman Tom Rothman agreed to revise the budget to $120 million, um, which was considered a massive risk because obviously it's not based on an existing property. It's a completely uh, new idea. Nevertheless, despite the recent stories that have been plaguing Hollywood for, well, they're not really recent, for years and years about gender pay gap, uh, it's been well known and well documented that women uh, in Hollywood, as in most professions just generally, uh, no, don't get paid as much as their male counterparts. However, for this movie, uh, Jennifer Lawrence not only received top billing, um, she also received a payday of $20 million against 30% of the profits. Um, this was despite her not having as much screen time as Chris Pratt. Um, Pratt himself was paid $12 million uh, to star in the movie. So it wasn't exactly a pauper's salary, um, but Jennifer Lawrence, Oscar winner, definitely the biggest star out of the two, so she got the bigger pay deal. Um, and Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt, obviously the two leads of the movie, 
Um, they were solely responsible for most of the shots in the movie. And so the bulk of the filming meant them shooting extendedly long hours. Um, principal photography commenced in September of 2015 and they wrapped the movie on February 16th, 2016. They also had to do some very, very, very late reshoots in October of 2016. The movie was actually released in December of 2016. So they were doing reshoots two months before the movie's release, um, apparently to fix some issues with the screenplay. Um, but um, yeah, we'll come back to that. Um, so after the movie wrapped, um, during post-production, legal issues would arise on the rights to the MOVA motion capture technology that was used in Passengers and other big effects-driven movies of the time, uh, like Disney's Beauty and the Beast live-action remake. Um, so MOVA was licensed to Digital Domain 3.0, um, and uh, they were issued a preliminary injunction, sort of post-completion of the motion capture and the VFX work for Passengers, at the time, it was unknown what impact this legal ruling on MOVA would have on the post-production of Passengers. Um, and while the work was ultimately completed, uh, a federal judge ruled that MOVA could no longer be used by digital domain and um, it was effectively banned from future use. And I've tried to find out more information on the uh, the legal status of MOVA now um, and I couldn't really find a great deal. So as far as I'm aware, it is still banned. Um, so as I've already mentioned, the movie was actually kind of in limbo for about 10 years. Um, and it was in sort of production for quite a while. Um, and with a movie in production for that long, there are inevitable differences between the original blacklisted script and the finished movie. Um, and the main issue really concerns the final third of the movie. So in the original script, there was less of a blockbuster action movie catastrophe finale. Um, it's obviously like in most Hollywood movies, you kind of have to have this massive world changing event that happens at some point at the end. But in the original script, um, they find uh, that there's a hole in the ship caused by the meteor um, and fixing it almost kills Jim. The anti-grav malfunctions after this happens also needs fixing and in doing so the ship's computer system is reset and in the original script the ship believes that it's now safely docked at Homestead 2 and because it believes it's safely docked it starts ejecting the sleep pods into outer space. Uh, effectively murdering all of the sleeping passengers. So Jim and Aurora attempt to save them, but they fail. Um, and essentially, they truly end up the only people alive on the ship. 88 years later, the Avalon docks at Homestead 2, and the people that emerge are Jim and Aurora's descendants, which I'm really glad they didn't do for the finished movie, because, yeah, that brings up a lot of additional questions about incest which is never the sort of thing you want out of your Hollywood blockbuster movies. Anyway I just quickly want to go through the good things about Passengers and there are some good things about Passengers. The main thing that I actually enjoy most about Passengers is the chemistry between Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence. Um, I kind of feel like as a leading pair, I think they work really well off each other. They're obviously both completely gorgeous, which helps. 
it's very believable that these two people would fall for each other kind of based on looks primarily um because the movie doesn't really go into it but there is a class divide between the two characters which means they probably wouldn't have met in real life um so the fact that they're both super attractive and they work off each other really well there's a lot of chemistry there um i think that really works in the movie um i mean i'd argue that keanu reeves could do it just as well as chris pratt um but whilst i think that jennifer lawrence commits a little bit more to the movie um i certainly don't think that chris pratt is terrible um i just think that um jennifer lawrence is slightly better as an actor i'm really sorry chris pratt um obviously i need to talk a little bit about jennifer lawrence just generally because as i mentioned she was an oscar winner she received top billing for the movie which is something that very rarely happens especially in sci-fi um when you've got a male character and a female character it tends to be the male character who gets the top billing and also the bigger paycheck jennifer lawrence got both um in this movie which i think is definitely something to commend the movie for um to give her that um and as far as i'm concerned she really does deserve it um the production design of the movie is beautiful um it was oscar nominated and it won an art directors guild award um for the production design it's got this beautiful mix of art deco sort of in the uh, bar area and the rest of the ship is like this ultra clean white glossy futuristic style um it's also very similar in design to the axiom from 2008's wally which i don't know if it's intentional um but even the design of eva in wally is very similar to the look of the avalon and it's also got a really beautiful score as well uh, the music is lovely um also oscar nominated um so they're the good things the things that i like so yeah let's just have a bit of a talk about the other things um so as i mentioned before the trailers don't show that the waking of aurora is jim's decision um and this goes back to what i mentioned about the trailer misleading the audience had the movie not had the plot of jim waking aurora uh which by the way uh is also the name of sleeping beauty in the disney movie because obviously she's sleeping and she's beautiful and <laughs> he falls in love with her because she's beautiful um i feel like it would generally be a bit of an easier movie to watch um the issue that I kind of have is the movie is primarily billed as a romance um, and that never sits well with me, um, especially with the idea that Jim is infatuated with Aurora to the point where he's stalking her, actually, um, because he's watching her interviews and he's falling in love with her purely based on the fact she's not only beautiful, but she's unattainable, Um and I find that movies of the past uh, might have been able to get away with this, uh, you know, male lead uh, infatuation with a female character, you know, to the point where he's almost stalking her, where his actions are seen as romantic um, rather than creepy or stalker-like. Um, you know, they're seen as sweet. And um, 
but I kind of feel like in 2016, um, it's just not. <laughs> it's just not romantic at all. It really just comes off really creepy. Um, and this is where we can kind of move on to the ethics and moralities of Jim's decision. Um, so the character of Jim um, is woken up 90 years early. Um, and we know this is due to a malfunction. Um, an asteroid hits the ship and causes his pod to malfunction. He spends a year alone on the ship and he's basically descending into madness. He reaches a point where he's contemplating suicide. He happens upon Aurora and he contemplates waking her. And he knows that by doing so, he's essentially condemning her to the same fate as he will ultimately meet. Um, because being woken up 90 years early means that you are going to die before the ship ports at Homestead 2. And Jim doesn't make the decision straight away. You know, he does think about the decision that he's going to make. Um, but ultimately, he makes this wholly selfish decision to wake Aurora up. Um, and not only does he do that, he also neglects to tell her the truth. He claims that both of their pods malfunctioned. He knows that he's doing wrong, but he does it anyway because he feels like he can get away with it. Um, I kind of feel like there is never a justification for doing something wrong because you think you're going to get away with it. The movie constantly frames Jim as the hero. Um, and despite the audience knowing what he's done, he gets the girl. Um, and I kind of feel like this is a really terrible message to actually put out there in the you've got this character who is he's not a bad character he's not a bad guy you know what we see of Jim we see that he is a good guy he's basically makes a terrible decision um, but he doesn't have to live with that decision he makes a decision and then he gets the girl at the end anyway um, and it's the ideal girl you know she's gorgeous she's wealthy she's intelligent she has all of these dreams and aspirations for her life. So in reality, the movie tells us that Jim has hit the jackpot. Um, and although he does express initial regret, that initial regret is replaced with obviously scenes of them falling in love and enjoying each other's company, um, which, as I've mentioned, are great because Lawrence and Pratt really do have great on-screen chemistry. And whilst I do think that the character of Jim is initially regretful of his decision, he never comes across as remorseful because ultimately he gets his dream girl at the end. So as I kind of said, it feels like, it feels icky. It feels like this is ultimate kind of wish fulfillment that this guy can make this decision and then still get the girl at the end regardless. Um, and that's kind of where it feels off to me um what the movie does is it tries to argue jim's decision um to wake aurora up because the ship is genuinely malfunctioning um so what it basically says to us is that if jim had not woken aurora he would not be able to save the ship because two people are required to fix the broken core reactor had aurora still been asleep then Basically, everyone would have died. So all of the sleeping passengers would have died and Jim would have died and Aurora would have died and everyone would have died. You could argue in that case that maybe his choice would be justified. 
But the decision was still made before he had the knowledge of the severity of the malfunctions. Um, it basically takes the premature awakening of Lawrence Fishburne's character Gus to provide the necessary exposition in order to give us that information. So even so, even though the movie tries to justify his decision, the fact that his waking of Aurora happened to help save the rest of the passengers from certain death still doesn't excuse the fact that his initial decision was completely and utterly selfish. Aurora, um, interestingly, so she finds out that he woke her up and she is angry. And quite rightly so. She had her own dreams. She wanted to basically write about her experiences of living on Homestead 2 for a year and then return back to Earth on basically the return Avalon voyage and and basically live out this amazing life and write down all of her adventures. And she is obviously forced to be woken up. She falls in love with this guy who she believes is kind of the real deal and finds out that he's not. Um, and to me, the her change of heart at the end of the movie is is kind of... It never really makes sense because she can choose to go back to sleep to basically live out her dream, which is a dream that she has mentioned right from the start. And she refuses to go back to sleep. And the movie kind of frames that it's because of Jim. And at the end, uh, she says that she basically chose to live out her life with him and that it was a beautiful life. Um, the problem is that with the one medical pod, as if there would be only one medical pod on a ship for 5,000, um, that if she goes back to sleep, um, Jim can't go back to sleep. So if anything, although the movie is trying to tell us that it's for love, um, I kind of feel like if she's choosing to stay with Jim, then it feels like it's out of guilt um, because she doesn't want to leave Jim alone. Um, it kind of doesn't feel like it's a decision born of love because although, yeah, he saved her life that doesn't necessarily mean that everything is forgiven um but as far as the character is concerned because as far as the script tells us she kind of immediately forgives him and then decides that she's madly in love with him but it just kind of doesn't really work ultimately i guess what i'm trying to say is if you remove the romance element from the story the movie actually works so much better um, obviously it means you don't get this wonderful chemistry between Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence, which is kind of sad, but I feel like it could have been a really great sci-fi thriller, um, with Jim as this kind of supposed dashing hero and the movie kind of gradually reveals his cold deception. Um, in fact, I'd argue that the movie should have been told completely in Aurora's point of view rather than Jim's, um, it would give Jennifer Lawrence more screen time, um, which is never a bad thing as far as I'm concerned, but also frame her as the clear hero of the story. Um, because ultimately, although the movie tries to tell us that Jim's the hero, he's not the hero. Aurora's the hero of the story. Um, if you started the movie with Aurora being woken up, um, as opposed to Jim, um, with it being told in Aurora's point of view, with her finding Jim and him telling her they were both woken up early, um, her falling for him only to find out from Arthur um, that Jim has basically been talking about waking her up for months 
Um, Jim expresses his regret, explains he was lonely. Um, she's still pissed. But then the ship goes into meltdown. They have to work together to fix it. And then at the end, Aurora gets the same choice to stay with Jim or go back to sleep. But she goes back to sleep. She wakes up 88 years later and she has one hell of a story. The end. That would be a much better story. Uh, you take out all the romance. You switch the point of view. It would be really good. Um, I just kind of feel like the romance is completely unnecessary and kind of ruins the movie, which is, like I say, it is a shame because when you've got actors like Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt who really work well together, then romance kind of feels like it's inevitable, but it would be better without it. Um, one thing that should never change about this movie ever is Michael Sheen, because Michael Sheen is always a joy. He's great. If anything, I just want more Arthur. I just want more Michael Sheen in everything, full stop. Passengers is a movie with a lot of promise. It wants to be a cautionary tale on our reliance on technology and the trusting of big corporations. It wants to talk about the social and class divide between the rich and the poor. For us to ask questions about moral quandaries. Um, it wants us to empathise with a character's isolation and loneliness and also the broader implications of artificial intelligence. But it kind of takes all these interesting and rich discussion points and bookends them with yeah but they're both really hot and it never really satisfactorily answers any of the moral questions it asks of itself and that's a real shame because I do think there is a really good movie in here and maybe if it was edited differently maybe if certain parts like the romance were taken out maybe it could be a really really fantastic movie when it was released, there was actually a lot of negativity around the movie. Um, and it was mainly to do with a lot of tabloids speculating on an affair between the two leads. As I've mentioned, the chemistry between them was very uh, apparent. And at the time, Chris Pratt was married to Anna Faris. And they have since divorced. Um, but even after they announced their split... Jennifer Lawrence was blamed, some factions of the internet, ridiculously, for splitting up Chris Pratt and Anna Faris. Um, now, on-screen chemistry doesn't mean off-screen chemistry. Um, all three strongly denied all of the accusations um, at the time and, and have to continually uh, deny the allegations, which is completely ridiculous. Um, just because you get on with your... Uh, on-screen love interest it does not mean you are banging them in real life um, but I think that just kind of again uh, highlights the fact that their chemistry on screen is really really good uh, it's just a shame that the romance elements of the movie just kind of don't live up to their chemistry um, and how good they actually are all of this negative tabloid press didn't stop the movie from becoming the second biggest original live action release of 2016 after La La Land, um, which is actually a really good point to make. This is an original idea in uh, a modern Hollywood that doesn't like original ideas. It did take a massive risk of having a large budget and being an original idea. And that did pay off um, because essentially the movie did make 
quite a lot of money. Um, it ended up making $303 million worldwide. So it did make money. It did do good business. It's just a shame that it's not a brilliant movie. I always ask for social media thoughts. Passengers is no exception. I always get social media thoughts. And again, Twitter has exploded with social media thoughts on passengers. I was not expecting the number of comments that I got and neither was I expecting the the level of discontent that I got. But this is a divisive movie. It is a movie with a lot of problems. So without further ado, let's go over to Twitter and have a look at what people have said about it. So at Black Girls Do Stuff, which is our good friends at Black Girls Do Stuff too, said movie made me so angry, mostly because I have a thing with ruining people's dreams because of your temporary satisfaction, which is what happened here. I do enjoy the concept and I think it has good sci-fi pieces and Michael Sheen is a treasure. Truth. At Cap Understands, which is I understood that reference, said, Not a lot to like in this film. The ethical quandaries and Stockholm Syndrome aside, it's just not a very entertaining flick. Lawrence has what is fast becoming her trademark disinterest during most of the movie and Pratt leans too heavily on his leading man-like ability. At SYIMS Podcast, which is Sorry You're In My Seat, said, I'll admit I didn't like the narrative, waking someone up and condemning them to death because you liked what they looked like. Hmm, but I'd definitely drink at a bar served by robot Michael Sheen. At B Tipplers said, I wanted her to airlock him so hard. I don't even know if they had an airlock. Basically, a nice guy forces the girl to be with him because he deserves her. Ugh. Hashtag worst Chris. At Movies Work, which is our friends at Movies After Work, said, Should have started with her waking up and stayed in her POV. Would have made the film land so much stronger. 100% agree with that. At I Used To Watch This said, It's a pretty creepy premise, but some interesting points along the way. I'm not so sure she'd forgive him so easily, even if they are going to die. At Always Critic Pod said, I shouldn't like it, but it doesn't offend me. At Roleplay Retcon said, Should have ended with Pratt dying heroically and Lawrence standing over another pod, considering doing what he did to her. And that's interesting, actually, because I didn't think of that, but that would definitely be an interesting ending to the movie um, if she was the one who was left alone. Um, Definitely something to think about. At Robin Hood Pod said, Sweet, then you think about it and it's creepy and weird. At Colby Told Me said, Would have switched some things up narratively, but a decent movie star sci-fi vehicle. At Core Extra said, Horrible movie, horrible. Oh, and not to mention he's a murderer. Silly contrived mess of a film with enough plot holes to sink a ship or ruin a movie. <laughs> at C Word Pod said God awful. At Cuyulavis Green said they should have made this a suspense thriller instead of a love story with a random action set piece. At Lit Gaming Arena said being alone too long will make you crazy. At Real Trouble Pod said we have an episode about it. At Agent Coop 007 said, Always felt like at the end when everyone else wakes up, we should have met their grandkids living on the ship. At Robin and Danny, Do the kids follow in Dad's steps and wake up other passengers to procreate with? Mm, yeah. Uh, at Wizard Matt said, Romantic in quotes is correct. Chris 
Pratt's character is a terrible person and essentially sentenced J-Law to death. And finally, at Jason Krupper said... Sets up moral questions it never had any intention of answering. If he'd needed to wake up some expertise she had to save the ship, it would have still been contrived, but at least not been a creepy, cringy mess. Woo! Okay. So, um, so generally, I think the general consensus is that people kind of like it. I'm joking. Um, not a lot of people like this movie on Twitter. Over on Instagram, uh, people are a bit more favourable. Um, so at Contrarian Prime said it didn't find it problematic it just didn't go with the more interesting angle it could have gone with I was all set up for a tragic ending for one and at Eat Crime said I really enjoyed this movie it's one that I don't mind watching multiple times Um, and finally over on Facebook Eric Carlson said I actually got to read the script during film school while it was on the blacklist and it differed in several ways from the final film namely the fate of the two leads and the other passengers. Without that context, the final film feels less like a sci-fi romance and more like a creepy sci-fi horror film. Even more so, while I think Lawrence and Pratt have good chemistry as buddies or friends, I could never buy them as a romantic couple. All that aside, I like the concept and there's some good action scenes. Also great to see Lawrence Fishburne again. But honestly, if you want to watch a great sci-fi action romance about two characters on a large ship in space, you're better off watching the wonderful Wally instead. So, passengers, bit of a hot mess. Um, would I recommend anyone watch it? I probably would, um, only because it does have some good things to do and say, and it does look very good. As I've said, it's not a terrible movie. It just feels really misguided. Thank you for listening. Um, as always, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Passengers, uh, even though I've probably got everyone's thoughts. Um, it's definitely the most divisive movie I've featured on the podcast thus far. Before I announce the next episode, um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Sade is our new Patreon producer. But she's not only our Patreon producer, she also has her own podcast. So... I want to tell you a little bit about Offscreen Babble, uh, which is hosted by Sade and her husband, Kyle. Their podcast is genuinely one of my absolute favourites. So although this is technically an ad, it's more a recommendation for an absolutely brilliant podcast that's intelligent, funny, jam-packed full of content, as well as the hosts having amazing chemistry, because married couples tend to have that. I've been a fan of Offscreen Babble pretty much since the start, And their podcast genuinely just gets better each episode. Uh, The sheer amount of content they cram in is mind-blowing. And not only that, Sade and Kyle are such kind, thoughtful people. And we need more of them in the world today. So I would highly recommend listening to Offscreen Babble. Um, You can obviously find them in your podcast app. They are on everything. So Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. You can also find them at offscreenbabble.com. Um, they're also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Offscreen Babble. So go and find and listen to Offscreen Babble. So the next episode, uh, as a patron, uh, Sade, Simon, and Hardy L already know this. Um, but the next episode, we're actually going to be travelling to the fantasy realm of Wall uh, for Matthew Vaughan's brilliant and highly underrated Stardust, starring Daredevil himself, Charlie Cox. And the always wonderful Claire Danes. I can't wait. Stardust is absolutely wonderful. Look out for that in your podcast app very soon. 
If you like this episode, I've also done episodes on Titan AE, Captain Marvel, Dread, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow, Pleasantville, The Cabin in the Woods, Speed, Aladdin 1992-2019, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, X-Men Dark Phoenix, Charlie's Angels 2000, The Mummy 1999, The Matrix, John Carter, Willow, The Iron Giant, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, Logan, Edge of Tomorrow, Legally Blonde, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 4, Episode 10, Hush, and Mystery Men. And they can all be downloaded wherever you get your podcasts from. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Letterboxd at Verbal Diorama. You can sign up to support the show at patreon.com slash verbal diorama from $2 a month and get access to some fab perks, um, such as the upcoming schedule, a shout out on the next episode, and Twitter, all the way up to becoming a producer, just like Sade. You can email me, general hellos feedback or suggestions, verbaldiorama at gmail.com. My website is verbaldiorama.com. If you like what I do and you want to leave me a great review, you can do so on iTunes and I'd really appreciate that. And I have a column over at Film Stories magazine. Uh, Film Stories is an independent British movie magazine and I would love it if you could support that magazine. Uh, the wonderful people who work on it by popping over to filmstories.co.uk slash magazine uh, where you can purchase one-off copies of the back catalogue or you can subscribe and you might see me pop up in a future issue. Um, I'm also currently doing work for the Film Stories website, uh, recommending great British movie podcasts each week. So keep an eye on the Film Stories site each Friday for the next recommendation. Um, And final thoughts. So the frustrating thing is, as I mentioned, this movie is an original idea. We should be celebrating original ideas. It did reasonably well at the box office. We should have more movies like this, except not like this. Uh, unless it would make me look like Jennifer Lawrence. In which case, yes, please. All the more like this. Because to look like Jennifer Lawrence, I would do that selfish thing. Or would I? Stick me on an interstellar ship and you'll find out. Bye. Blue vision of-